Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Thursday, September 7th. I'm Stephen Overly. Washington has yet to take steps to address campaign deepfakes, but Google is putting its own rules in place. Starting in November, political ads on Google will have to disclose the use of AI-generated content like images and audio. Google's announcement comes as AI-generated deepfakes are taking off on the campaign trail and are expected to become even more common ahead of the 2024 election. Many internet companies have been pulling back on efforts to combat misinformation, but it seems like other companies will follow Google's lead here. I mean, their users are growing more weary of these deepfakes. The tech cold war with China is starting to feel a little bit warmer. Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks has outlined the Pentagon's plans to build a network of AI-powered drones and other autonomous systems over the next two years. Her reason, you guessed it, is China. While she said the U.S. is not at war with Beijing, it's clear the military feels a need to be equipped for it. How much do lawmakers need to know about AI in order to regulate it? The House and the Senate are grappling with that question as we speak. And it's a point of tension as they face mounting pressure to rein in this fast-moving technology. On today's episode, my interview with Congressman Ted Lieu shows the tension firsthand. He says that lawmakers don't need to be experts to legislate. But he's also proposing a bill that would create a committee of AI experts, because he says Congress doesn't know enough to act on its own. Lou is in a better position to understand AI than most of his colleagues. He's one of the few lawmakers with a computer science degree, from Stanford, no less. But as you'll hear in our interview, there are AI issues where even he is hesitant to take a stance, because he just doesn't know enough yet. I think maybe the best place to start is this with the the bill you proposed earlier this summer that would establish a blue ribbon commission to study AI and advise Congress, you know, as it looks to to regulate AI. How much traction are you seeing so far among your colleagues with that idea? Uh, thank you, Stephen, for your question. We're seeing more and more traction. We have a bipartisan bill. It sets up a bipartisan national commission on AI. And we have both Republicans and Democrats who are co-leading the bill. And there's a lot of people that want to co-author, but we want to make sure that we get one Republican and one Democrat and we'll add people that way. But there is a lot of interest. And I think it's important to have people far smarter than me uh, and many others give us some recommendations as to what kinds of AI we might want to regulate and how we might want to go about doing so. And there's precedence for this. There was an AI commission in the military sector that did pretty well. And this is going to be for the civilian sector. And is that the pitch to your your colleagues that we sort of that Congress needs kind of a body really studying AI more closely than what the full body is able to do on its own? Absolutely. And I'll give you an example. I worked on AI regulation for facial recognition technology. It is amazing technology. Uh, Unfortunately, it is less accurate for people with darker skin. And my view is if you deploy it nationwide at law enforcement agencies, it's a huge equal protection violation because minorities will be misidentified at higher rates. Now, it took me over two years 
to introduce a bill working with stakeholders, civil rights groups, law enforcement agencies, and others. My view is Congress doesn't have the bandwidth to be able to regulate AI in every single possible application. That's why I think we need a commission to give us some models to look at as to how we can regulate AI going into the future. You know, you do hear right now these calls for AI regulation, and they're sort of increasingly urgent. And I have to wonder if you sort of feel Congress is at the stage where it needs this commission to study the issue. Does that mean any more substantial regulation of facial recognition or, or other types of AI is is years away? Uh, nothing in this bill prevents Congress from passing laws while the commission is looking at the AI issues. And it's not meant to delay. It has a pretty quick turnaround. If the bill becomes law, there is a report due within six months and the second report within one year. So the intent is to act quickly. So if 37 AI experts meet with me, it's great for me, but it doesn't really help anyone because you don't know what they told me. This is a fully transparent commission. People will know who they met with, the information they relied upon, and how they got to their conclusions. Congress could reject the recommendations. We could accept some of them or all of them. But at least it starts at a baseline so the American public and Congress uh, has a good point to start regulating. Because right now, if you were to say, hey, let's regulate AI next week, I'm not sure we would even know how to define it. Well, that's, I guess, the one question I had, too. Is there a greater risk in regulating AI too quickly or sort of too carefully? That sort of seems to be the tension. My view would be to set out principles and standards and goals and objectives and then have regulators decide on the best way to go forward. Because if Congress writes a very specific bill and we make a mistake, you need another act of Congress to correct it. And that's why I think we need to, first of all, have a National AI Commission look at this issue and give us recommendations, but also tread carefully in exactly how we write this regulation, I'm sorry, the laws that would set up the regulations. So better for an administration or for agencies to actually do the regulation as opposed to Congress is sort of what I hear you saying. Yes, because AI is so complex. So there's a analogy I have. Congress doesn't write individual laws approving or disapproving individual drugs. We just don't have the capacity to do that. The FDA does that. But we do write laws regulating the FDA. And so my view is that's probably a more sensible model where you have experts looking at these issues five days a week all the time, whereas members of Congress were focused on you know hundreds of different issues all the time. Are you sort of in the, the camp of lawmakers who feels Congress needs to do more right now to empower agencies for those regulations? Because otherwise that, that could sort of be a pretty slow process in its own right for, for agencies to kind of come up with these rules. I do. And my view is there are different reasons for why we might want to regulate AI. And to me, the best analogy is to think of two bodies of water. You got a large ocean and then this small lake. So large ocean is all the AI that we as lawmakers don't care about. So if the AI in your smart toaster has a preference for doing bagels better than wheat toast, we don't care about that. So in this small lake, it's going to be the AI where we do care about. And to me, there's sort of three buckets. The first is the most extreme, which is AI that can destroy the world. So the Department of Defense has 
weapons known as autonomous weapons that can launch automatically. I've introduced legislation uh, that uh, is bipartisan that basically says no matter how amazing AI gets, we're never going to let AI ever launch a nuclear weapon by itself. There always has to be a human in the loop. The second bucket would be AI that can't destroy the world, but can kill you individually. And that goes to the question about having regulators with more power and more expertise and just having more regulators in general looking at AI because there's a lot of AI in moving objects. And so if your laptop malfunctions, it's not going 45 miles per hour. But if AI in an automated vehicle malfunctions, it can kill people, it has killed people, and it's going to kill people. And there's a lot of AI in all sorts of objects that move, planes, trains, automobiles. And I think we need more regulators who are more empowered and have the expertise to really look at some of those issues to protect the public. And the last bucket is, I think the hardest, it's going to be AI that does have a preference that is harmful to society, whether it's facial recognition uh, or you know, bias in uh, algorithms that provide, let's say, credit risks reporting on people or all sorts of different algorithms and how you might want to hire someone. So we need to make sure that we can reduce the amount of bias in these algorithms. And that's a, a challenge. And I think we need some expertise to tell us how we might want to go forward. And is there something that you think Congress could get done this session to address, you know, one, one of those buckets you just identified that are sort of the most threatening or, or potentially the most dangerous? Well, why don't we deal with the uh, world-destroying AI? So let's go ahead and just say, look, we're not going to let AI uh, ever launch a nuclear weapon. I think that's a pretty easy, sensible law that can go forward and be signed without having to have a commission study this issue. It's not very complicated. I also think we need to look at ways to make sure that AI doesn't mess up our elections. Uh, you can right now feed an AI algorithm half an hour's worth of a person's voice, and they're going to sound sort of like that person. You give it three hours worth of a person's voice, it's going to sound exactly like that person. And so you're going to see not only scams from this, but also all sorts of videos with um, celebrities or politicians or other public figures say things uh, that are totally made up and fake because AI did it, not the actual person. Right. I, with anything election related, it feels like uh, trying to achieve something bipartisan seems impossible right now. Uh, do you think this is an area that m maybe both parties could work together to address deep fakes? I do. And I do know that last term, Congress did pass the Electoral Reform Act, which did close some loopholes in the way that our electoral college system was administered. So there is precedence for both parties coming together when we do see major problems in elections that we need to fix. And AI is really just a tool. And the best way to think about AI is that it's not a person, it's not a human being, it's not sentient. Uh, it is a tool that can be used for good and bad, which also means there's nothing particularly partisan about it. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. 
The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Is Congress better equipped now with AI, you think, to kind of address the threats posed by technology? Because we've seen, you know, tech waves in the past, right, where Congress has been a bit slow to act and and sort of until the harms are are really here and, and present. And I wonder if you see AI playing out any differently. I think the reason that we're seeing more bipartisan support for AI regulation and the reason a number of my bills have bipartisan support is because no one wants to repeat what happened with social media regulation or or the lack thereof. And I don't think people are particularly happy with how social media turned out. And so I think members of Congress are very aware that AI, uh, while it has potential for amazing benefits, it also could cause harm in certain areas and we want to mitigate those risks. When social media first came out, you didn't have, you know, industry basically saying, hey, we want to get regulated. Now you have a number uh, of these companies with their CEOs basically saying, we think there needs to be regulation. You know, we had your bill co-sponsor Ken Buck on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him who in the Congress to sort of he looked to as a leader on AI. And he named you as sort of a lawmaker who he sees really out front and with good ideas here. Who would you put in that category for you of kind of smart or has the right ideas when it comes to AI? Well, Ken Buck also, uh, we're working together. Return the favor, right? Yeah. And I do know that if you look at what the U.S. Senate is doing, they have uh, created uh, basically uh, a working group of Democrats and Republicans uh, who are uh, looking uh, at AI. And I do know that efforts are in the House uh, to do that as well. But I just want to note that there's no reason that someone can't write laws on AI or vote on AI uh, just because they're you know, not a computer science major, for example. Uh, I vote on all sorts of laws where I'm not an expert. Uh, I know, for example, very little about why a Boeing 777 flies, but yet I vote right. on you know, FAA authorization. And so members of Congress vote on all sorts of issues all the time. They don't have to be experts on the, those issues. I do think they do need to understand what AI can do, uh, what it can't do, and what are some of the harms that could happen as well as the benefits. Well, you mentioned having a computer science degree, and I know you're one of, I think, three members of Congress, or at least in the House, who who has that background. Is there ever hope for Congress to sort of be up to speed on AI when that feels like a moving goalpost? Because this is such a fast-moving technology that if you don't have a computer science degree or some sort of technical background, it just seems like it would be very hard to ever fully get on top of it. So I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Most members of Congress don't actually understand, including me, uh, how molecules interact with the human body. And yet we vote all the time on issues related to pharmaceutical drugs. We vote on FDA reauthorization. And so Again, members of Congress, I think, can vote smartly on legislation if they understand the main points of that legislation, the goals, the standards, what it's trying to achieve. And again, I don't think you have to be a technical major to be able to delve into this issue. I guess it comes down to values in some way, right? Or or sort of voting uh, 
you know, voting based on some of these societal outcomes or, or the overarching values here. You don't need to know how the code is written, essentially, is what it sounds like you're saying. That's exactly correct. You don't need to know how to write an AI algorithm, but you do need to know why AI algorithms might be biased, why they might cause harm and ways to try to fix those harms. And I think many people can understand that. There's a, a particular issue in a, within AI I, I wanted to see if you might weigh in on or if it's something you're paying attention to, just because I, I know you sit on the um, the IP subcommittee within House Judiciary, and you represent sort of a, a part of Los Angeles where obviously Hollywood writers and actors are kind of striking right now, par- partially motivated by concerns about AI. How much are you paying attention to some of the intellectual property and copyright dimensions of generative AI and the idea that these algorithms are trained potentially using copyrighted materials? That's a great question. And it also follows up on your previous question where, again, you don't know, you don't need to know how AI algorithm works to be able to weigh in on copyright issues, right? And I'll give you um, some questions I think we're thinking about. We had a hearing on the IP subcommittee earlier this year, and there was a former general counsel of the Copyright Office who was testifying. And he was very strongly on the fair use side. Basically, he mostly said everything was fair use, uh, and you don't really have to compensate folks uh, for what AI was doing. So I asked him a series of questions. I said, you know, the way AI trains itself, at least these large language models of generative AI, it scours entire internet. Well, it turns out that on the internet are a bunch of copyrighted works, such as Taylor Swift songs. And I asked him if, you know, these AI companies have to pay Taylor Swift for training their models on her copyrighted songs. And he thought that was fair use, didn't have to do that. And so then I asked him, well, what if this AI company then put out lyrics in the style of Taylor Swift lyrics. Would they have to compensate her? He said, no, he thinks that's fair use. And I said, well, what if the AI company also took her voice that they trained itself on and then put out a song that had similar lyrics to her lyrics, similar voice to her voice, would they have to compensate her for that? And he said, no, I don't think so. And about two weeks after that hearing, we get a letter from another former general counsel of the Copyright Office who basically said, no, 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 he's all wrong. Uh, and so you see, even within the copyright field, there's a big split on this issue. Uh, but again, you don't need to know how an AI algorithm works to weigh in on how you think uh, compensation should occur or not uh, in these cases. Do you... Did you find yourself convinced by one argument or the other? Because that that Taylor Swift scenario you just described is not implausible. I mean, that can be done now with with AI technology. That's a great question, and I'm not trying to avoid the answer. I think I just don't know at this point because it's moving so quickly, and you've got not only the judicial system looking at these issues, uh, you also have an entire strike in Hollywood because of these issues, right? So I think actors and actresses and writers are going to have to figure this out along with the studios on how they want to go forward. And I think it's complicated. I think it's something that people have to think about very deeply in a very short period of time because of how quickly generative AI just sort of came upon society like this. And 
I just think we're going to have to take some time and see how this develops. If you had to sum up in a sentence or two for me, what what is the moment that we're in right now with AI? I view AI like the steam engine right now, which was quite disruptive when it was introduced into society. Uh, But in a few years, it's going to become a supersonic jet engine with a personality. And we are not prepared for that. It's going to rapidly make significant changes across a lot of sectors in society. I'll just give you one example of the medical field. Uh, It used to take one person spending five years doing a PhD to tell people how to fold one human protein. AI has now folded every human protein known to humankind and given that to medical researchers. So I think you're going to start seeing some uh, amazing medical developments because of AI. And it's going to be very exciting, I think, in a lot of different fields in terms of how much AI is going to benefit humanity. Congressman, listen, I, I thank you for your time today and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. That's all for Politico Tech today. Are you participating in the Senate's AI Forum next week? We want to hear from you at techpodcast at politico.com. And for more tech news, check out our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Hoyser and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here on Friday. <laughs>